Hey, welcome to RushCast. My name is Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for being here or coming back if you've been here before. Today I have a really great guest again. Kevin J. Anderson is here. He is the author of Clockwork Angels, something you may have heard of. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on. I, I'm glad to be talking to some people who are big a, as big a Rush fans as I am. You know, I, I, I read Clockwork Angels when it first came out, and aside from it being a great novel and obviously very much a part of the new album, I loved the the little, the very microscopic Rush quotes that were in almost every paragraph. Oh, really? I didn't know I put them in there. They oh, yeah. They were all accidental. accidental. <laughs> must have been. Because just, well, just as a reader, that said to me, oh, this guy is on the same level as I am when it comes to this band. Well, and they were working with the, the editor at ECW who would be doing, like, line editing of stuff, and she would say, well, how about if we rewrite this line? And I'm going, no, don't rewrite that <laughs> line because that's a lyric. And, and you know, so much of that stuff in there just because I've been living with these Rush lyrics for all my life. They're, like, part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. And when I'm writing it, I can... I can turn on or turn off that filter in my mind so that when something appropriate came in and it was natural and that was the most important thing it had to be natural that I couldn't I couldn't force them in there so that if you are not a Rush fan reading Clockwork Angels and you don't get the references you weren't supposed to go well that was a clunky sentence why did he write it that way I wanted to make sure that it was completely invisible to the non-Rush fans but the real Rush fans would like come to a stop and go I know where that's from can you give us an idea of generally how how is it written between the two of you? Well, Neil and I have known each other for over twenty five years, and we we did a short story together called Drum Beats that that we published, and uh, he wrote the introduction to one of my short story collections, and we've been back and forth doing things for a long time, but mm-hmm. uh, we always wanted to do something like a lot a lot bigger than just a short story or a few things, and. I, I'm bad at the years and stuff, but many years ago, like five years ago or six years ago, uh, Neil wrote to me asking me about uh, steampunk as a genre, and he had read several of my steampunk novels and liked them, and he just wanted to know more about it, and, and if I thought the genre was going to stick around for a while, and I said, well, I, yes, I thought it was going to stick around for a long time. And then he started telling me about his his vision for this concept album he had, Um with a watchmaker and the anarchist and, and a creepy steampunk carnival and some uh, some ideas for pirates and lost cities. And, and so I was brainstorming with him and just like throwing ideas back and forth because I'm a Rush fan and this is cool to be brainstorming with Neil Beard. Uh, and he was throwing things back and forth and writing the st- songs and he would send me the lyrics as he would get them finished. So I got some of the songs as they were put together, the, the ones that are on the Clockwork Angels album. And of course, you know, they released two of the tracks a year or so early for uh-huh. their Time Machine tour. And so we already had a lot of the background for it. Uh, and Neil was just very excited about the whole project, but he was really involved in the entire concept album and the story. And, and I was giving him advice on, on story structure and things. And then uh, my wife and I had had lunch with him at a diner in Santa Monica once, and, and he was just all fired up. He was so excited about uh, Clockwork Angels, and that it wasn't just going to be a concept album, that this could be a Broadway musical, and it could be a novel, and it could be Ice Follies, and and I'm 
again, Rush fan going, everything sounds cool. That sounds wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> and my wife just kind of perks up and says, uh, excuse me, Neil, but a novel? Who's going to write the novel? And Neil just said, well, Kevin is, of course. And then he went on talking about his ice follies and everything else. And, um, so that's how I found out that I was writing the Clockwork Angels novel. <laughs> okay. Um, and so we, we then started brainstorming more in earnest. And during the Time Machine tour, they came out to Colorado, where, where I live. And they had, a, they had a, two concerts at Red Rocks, and they had a day off in between them. So on the day off between them, uh, I took Neil, and he and I climbed a 14,000-foot mountain peak, um, because that's what you do when you have a day off between concerts, I guess. <laughs> uh, and during, during that hike, we spent the whole time brainstorming just the story and building it in, in greater detail, which, as a novel, you needed to know a whole lot more than you know, just just for songs here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started developing things. Then they start. They were on their time machine tour, and I was on a couple of book tours. But we just kept sending letters back and forth, building it up, and until it finally got to the point where we had um, most of the structure structure down and had the outline. And I I broke it up into very specific chapters, and I would everything got sent back and forth to Neil. And, uh, then I started writing it, and I would send things to him, and he would rewrite parts or give me thumbs up or whatever and we would we would come up with other things to add and um I wrote the whole book really fast like like in I think 6 weeks is how fast I because I'd been building up to it for a long time mm-hmm. and it just felt so natural to be doing it in inside cuz I had I had heard the music the album wasn't released yet but I had all the rough tracks of the music that I was listening to and and I had all the lyrics and I had the story and I had like every Rush lyric burned into my brain anyway, and once I gave myself permission to throw in all those little Easter eggs, it just was like writing the book was just an absolute joy, and, and I know Neil liked it. We kept sending things. Uh, he kept. I would send him a chapter in the morning, and he'd have it read by that afternoon with some comments, and then I'd do another chapter the next day, and he would read it. And It was just a, a very gratifying experience, and of course the publisher... Um, ECW did a, a terrific job. You've got to look at this book if you haven't even read it. It's it's just beautifully designed with yeah. Hugh Syme illustrations all the way through it. Uh, and I got to work with Hugh as well while we were doing it because several of the paintings are original in the book that aren't in the CD booklet. And Hugh would read some of the sections and come up with an idea for uh, for something in his painting, and then I would see the painting and go, that's really cool, i got to put that in the book. And it sort of was this circular inspiration going on. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think of it as a lot like when you see a movie, and then you go read the book after you've seen the movie, whereas I had the album, really let, really got a chance to digest the album, and I thought... I know the story. I've read all the interviews with the band. I know what the story is. I don't need to read the novel. Well, of course, I read it anyway. And when I was done, I thought, oh, man, I was an idiot. I did not. I thought I knew the story. I had an idea of the story, but I didn't know it. And uh, was that was that on purpose? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the novel, I had room to do all the details. And mm-hmm. the songs are just like little snapshots of of pieces of the story, like like emotional high points of the story, mm-hmm. and putting it all together. I mean, you can't do the full characterization in the in the songs. You get, like, the anarchist, you get great characterization of who this guy is, 
but you don't know his actual history, his actual story, the events that are going on. Uh, and you don't know the character of Owen Hardy, who's the main character all the way through the album and through the book. And um, it just, it should be a, a more fully fleshed out experience. And when you, I mean, I still listen to the album all the time. Well, now that I'm writing the next book, Clockwork uh-huh. Lives, of course, I'm listening to it all the time. <laughs> but listening to these stories, I have... I'm listening to the songs. I have the stories in my head so that the songs have a whole different dimension to them. And, you know, it's not to say that you can't listen to the album and enjoy it perfectly well because it's a Rush album, so of course you're going to enjoy it. But I think if you read the novel, you will just have an entirely richer experience with, with the listening. Sure. It, may, it makes me wish there was a novel for every album that they made. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you know, the, here's the funny thing. Now, I'm... Um, not to not to gush about my credits, but I've published 120 books and I've had 54 bestsellers and 23 million copies in print and 30 languages. And I approached my agent and my publishers with, I'm going to do the novel on the next Rush concept album. It's a slam dunk. Everybody's going to love it. And I couldn't get any of my publishers to touch it. They just would scratch their heads and go, how do you novelize an album? I don't get it. Uh, do Rush fans read? We don't understand what <laughs> you're trying to do here. Uh, I mean, it was... It was like a total shock to me where I thought I had one of the coolest projects that I'd ever worked on in my entire career with such an, I mean, all of your listeners will agree, it's such an obvious thing. Of course you know how to do a a novel to an album because the album has a story and it has characters. Well, I think maybe they were all just listening to, say, Justin Bieber songs or something and they didn't understand it. But uh, So we went with Neil's publisher in Canada and they... They were fully on board, and they did a terrific job, and um, the book was extremely successful. In fact, it came out first New York Times bestseller that the publisher has ever had, and it showed up on the New York Times bestseller list exactly on Neil's 60th birthday. (laughs) So I was able to text him just before he went up on stage uh, and said, not not only are you a pretty decent drummer, but now you're a best-selling author, too. Uh, yeah, not a lot of drummers can say that. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a few listeners that sent in some questions. Chad wants to know, um, musically, what is your favorite song from Clockwork Angels? Maybe one that uh, you thought fit uh, that part of the novel the most, or just as a song you liked the best? Well, that side sort of says it all. Man, how do you pick one? But um, <laughs> I think the garden is one of the most powerful, beautiful songs they've done in their entire careers. Mm -hmm. I love that one. But I have to say, I think the one that really is closest to my heart that ties in with the novel and ties in with my life and everything else has got to be Headlong Flight. In fact, that's my ringtone on my phone. (laughs) But no, Headlong, all all the journeys, the great adventure, it didn't always feel that way. It just just rings true to me, and it's kind of the statement of the entire novel, and... um, if I had to pick, but if you're going to let me ramble, I'm going to start picking like 12 other songs, which is probably all the songs on the album. So. You've got the ringtone? You you truly are one of us. I I, I have the, the headlong flight ringtone on my on my phone. That's what goes off when somebody calls me. Uh, Patty wants to know, um, Neil usually writes memoirs or nonfiction. Do you think it was easy or hard for him to write a science fiction, um, something in the science fiction world? Well, he's he's read a lot of my stuff, and we talk about it um, frequently. But uh, we did do well. The story that we wrote together called Drum Beats, which 
it's it's standalone as an electronic story for I think two bucks or something like that if you want to read it. Mm-hmm. But it's about a a rock drummer who's bicycling around Africa and gets into some really creepy places and and gets caught up in a, a dark adventure. Well, I wrote the story story part of it, but all the descriptions of bicycling around Africa and the little villages and all that stuff were taken directly from, uh, well, Neil had written me a bunch of letters because he was bicycling around Africa doing that, and he had published his own, self-published a little memoir about those those travels around Africa. Uh, that that one hasn't been uh, reprinted and isn't available, but uh, I, I basically just stole a whole bunch of his paragraphs of describing things because he was there, and I wove my story in and around it, so um, it I think it works pretty well. It's been around for... Uh, 18 years or something like that. Yeah. It's still still out there. Um, but this, he loved developing the story and just the brain brainstorming and putting ideas back and forth. And, and it was it was kind of weird for me because he would come up with some idea and I would explain. Well, that doesn't really fit in a literary sense because this character's motivation is that. And and you know you can't have the anarchist just being evil because he's evil. You have to explain where he came from and how was he twisted that way and what does he really want to accomplish. And uh-huh. um, so uh, it was it was really cool because he would explain things that I didn't get and I would explain things that he didn't get and uh, we both became much more intelligent at the end of the process. Uh, let's go back in time, uh, pre Clockwork Angels. Let's say Snakes and Arrows is the most recent thing that Rush has done. Uh, what What is your favorite era, album, or, or song that speaks to you the most from their catalog musically, just as a Rush fan? Well, the the album that changed my life was Grace Under Pressure, because as a writer I had published a bunch of short stories, but it was time for me to write my first novel. And as I was developing my first novel, um, which was a kind of a science fiction murder mystery, Grace Under Pressure came out, and I'm listening to Grace Under Pressure and all these songs about distant early warning and after image and Red Sector A and uh, the Body Electric and and all of these songs were like parts of the novel I was writing, and and it felt like I was getting inspiration from this album, and so I listened. Well, it was actually a, like an LP. I listened to that thing until it was practically glass smooth, <laughs> and uh, that was what inspired my novel, Resurrection, Inc., uh, which is how I got to know Neil in the first place 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's the one that I would certainly pick. Is there a a, a song or an album uh, lyrically that you think is his strongest material? Well, the one, that, the one that really, really gets me just as a standalone song is Mission. That's one of my favorite oh, songs yeah. of all of this. <laughs> Um, I think uh, a lot of the people we've had on the show, lyrically, musically, in every way, think that is one of the top, strongest songs they've ever written. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. So can you tell us about, you've got three new um, Rush-related material things coming out. You've got Clockwork Angels, the comic scripts, 2113, and Clockwork Lives. Can you tell us about those? Well, actually, four because there's the graphic novel is being collected. Oh, yes. So, so Clockwork Angels, the novel, we wrote that, but it was so visual and and with all of Hugh Symes' paintings in it, <clears throat> and and my ideas of the the steamships and the the crazy carnival and the lost cities of gold and everything. 
uh, it seemed like it was made for for comics and graphic novel adaptation. So uh, we pitched it to various comic companies, and um, let's see, I, I went, because I've written for comics, so I went to a whole bunch of the big comic companies, and, and I had the book, and I pitched it to the various ones, and I said, um, here's this project, it's a Rush concept album, and I've written this book with Neil Peart, and, and I went to big comic company number one, and they said, oh, that's interesting. Well, let, let me think about that and get back to you. And then I went to big comic company number two, and they said, oh, well, that's a unique <laughs> idea. Let, let me consider oh, that. No. We'll get back to you. Yep. And then I went to the third comic company, and the answer was, holy sh- Neil fucking Peart, I want that right now. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's the one we went with. That's great. Um, and so we that came out in, in six issues for comics, and the... Um, the collected edition, the full graphic novel, is coming out uh, soon. I think April, something like that, and it'll be a beautiful edition. And there's going to be a a numbered signed slipcase edition that Neil and I are going to sign. And I, I don't know. I think there's 500 copies or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, so and and his book called Clockwork Angels: The Comic Scripts, which is just a book of the original comic scripts rewrote. Now that. You might wonder who would want to read that. Well, if you want to write comics, it's a good thing to study other scripts, just like you might want to read movie scripts if you want to write write movie scripts. So it's really interesting kind of art form to develop the story into this very specific panel-by-panel interesting descriptions. But the reason why Rush fans might want to read it is I put as many Easter eggs into the comics as I put into the novel. And if you didn't catch them all, they're all specified in the comic scripts where I'm, tell, I'm telling the artist, in this panel right here, this guy on the left has to look exactly like the guy in the cover of Hemispheres. <laughs> and, you know, if you if you read the comics and enjoyed them, you might not have noticed the, the permanent waves lady standing in the crowd and uh, little things like that. So uh, Rush fans might want to read that book just to get the Easter eggs. Um, let's see. And I'm editing with John McFetridge a book called 2113, which is a I got a bunch of best-selling science fiction fantasy authors who are also big Rush fans, and they're just writing short stories that are inspired by various Rush songs. I've got one in uh, that was inspired by the trees, and one that was inspired by Lakeside Park. And what uh, have I got in so far? Oh, and we're we're reprinting the original story. Roll the Bones, or Gonna Roll the Bones, which inspired Neil to write the song, Roll the Bones. Uh, and we've got the original uh, A Nice Morning Drive, which is what inspired uh, Red Barchetta. So there's mm-hmm. cool stuff in there for Rush fans. And I wrote a novelette myself called 2113, which which will blow your mind. It's got a really wonderful sequel, but a whole lot more than that to, to 2112. So that's a collection of stories that'll be out by ECW Press, in uh, we don't have a release date yet because they haven't turned turned the pieces in. That'll be uh, probably Christmas time, maybe maybe next spring. Not sure. Um, but the biggest, most spectacular project we're doing, and what I was editing just before I called you, is uh, Clockwork Lives, another book in the Clockwork Angels universe. And as Neil and I were writing Clockwork Angels, we would we would have some of these ideas and go, that would make a great story, or I want to see this character again, and I want to do something else with it. But we just filed those notes away because we were, you know, they were on tour for the album, and, and I had my own book tours, and the first one came out, and they were doing the comic books. So it was like two years that we kept we kept saying back and forth, 
we really should do something with that. And then we'd come up with another idea and say, oh, we've got to add that to the, the next Clockwork Angels book. And um, this summer, I, I just finished a huge book deadline, an 800-page manuscript that I sent in. Of course, my brain was just, just <laughs> jello at that point. Yeah. And what I, what I did is I... I I live in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, and I love to go hiking and camping. and And I had been so stressed and so so heavily worked to get that book out. I just threw the tent and everything in the car and drove up to find a campsite in some canyons in the mountains. And I went hiking all the next day just to relax and recharge. And I wasn't planning on doing any work, but that doesn't always turn out the way it's <laughs> supposed to. So I'm 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 in these canyons with waterfalls running and and. Um, walking through, uh, like climbing up on a ridge, and I'm reaching a mountain peak, and I'm doing all this spectacular stuff, and and I'm thinking about, well, how do I put all this stuff together for for another Clockwork Angels book? And uh, we knew pieces of how we wanted it, and then I got, well, I could do this, and we did this, and and I started taking notes. I ended up, I have a, a recorder with me. I ended up dictating like an hour worth of stuff about and this story and this story and this is how this one ties together and. Um, and we just, uh, so I, I got all of the stuff uh, transcribed and I even got the first story draft written and I sent it, sent it to Neil and I said, I think we're ready to start now. Here's how it fits together. And, and he just sent the email back to full of exclamation points. And <laughs> he loved it. And, and so then we started making it in greater detail and, and I was, I worked on this because this, this book wasn't under contract, and there was no deadline. This was just something that we wanted to do when we could do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would do like a couple of chapters and then a story. It's it's hard to describe. It's not really a sequel. It's a completely different story about a another a, a woman in, in Albion who is it's, she's given a quest that she can't get her inheritance, she can't get her own life back, until she fills up this alchemical book with the tales of other people that she meets. So she's got her own set of adventures that she goes just trying to get people to tell their stories, and then, of course, we include the stories in there. And a lot of the stories are people that you've met from uh, Clockwork Angels. Like, there, we go back to the carnival, so we get the fortune teller and the strong man, and, and there's the airship captain, and, and she meets the watchmaker's daughter, and she meets... Um, the alchemy miner, and she meets an astronomer, and all, all these people have really cool stories. And I would just write stories when I finished them, and write some of the connecting chapters, and send them to Neil, and and we just started getting really excited because there was stuff in this that I think was even significantly better than Clockwork Angels. And Neil agreed; he kept he would write me back and say, because he's been reading my stuff for twenty five years. And he would write back and said that I think this is the best thing you've ever written. Wow! And I think that too. It just when it, it really moves yeah. me when I'm working on it, and I'm doing my third or fourth edit now, and there's just stuff in here that's just better than anything that I've ever done, and I'm so happy to be uh, to be part of it and in this universe. And because um, I'm writing it with Neil Peart, you know, you can't phone it in. You <laughs> do yeah. a good job. Yeah. <laughs> so it it uh, it really really is something that I found very satisfying and and it's done we're doing the, the edits and the production stuff now and it'll be out in uh in September I think from from ECW again and they do have it up for 
uh, for pre-order. So if you're really anxious, you can put in your pre-order. And and we really want you to do the pre-order because that's how you get on the bestseller list. Yep. If you get all the pre-orders, they count as sales on the first day. So we want right. to stack the deck because I'm just, well, there's obvious reasons why we want it to be a bestseller, but I'm still being kind of competitive, and I want to be able to show the bestseller list to all those publishers that said they didn't want to publish it because who were too <laughs> Rush fans to read. So, so if there are any Rush fans listening to this podcast who actually, you know, read, it would be really good if you could order this book because we would love to hit the bestseller list so that I could sort of rub their noses. Everybody go out but and not that I'm it. Not that I'm vindictive, you know. <laughs> Uh, something I've always wondered about since the album came out was uh, how much did Getty and Alex uh, engage in the story? Did they ever talk? To, did you guys ever have any contact back and forth? Were they ever curious about um, how this new world that they were they were existing in came about? Well, in this in this case, it was mainly me and and Neil. And Neil had the story in his head, and I think he had to convince them to do a a concept album because uh-huh. they they were. I'm speaking like third hand here, but I, I think they were thinking concept albums were like very prog rock seventies and people don't do that anymore. But, huh. uh, this one breaks the mold and it really did a great, I mean, I've, I've met and talked with, with Kenny and Alex, not, not very much. I'm very close with Neil, but I don't know the other guys very much. Uh-huh. So, um, I, I can't really speak to what, what they think of or what they, they know. I hope, I certainly hope they've read it. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Uh, what was, uh, your experience at RushCon like? For a lot of us, that's something that's impossible to be at, uh, and I've always wondered what it's what what kind of environment it is. Um, well, there's a bunch of Rush fans, and you can make <laughs> Rush comments, and people will know what you're talking about. <laughs> that um, right there is the best part. Yes, you, you don't you don't do the thing that you go. Wasn't that a great joke? And realize that nobody knows what you're talking about. Um, you know, being being there, meeting a bunch of other Rush Rush fans, and you know, telling them about well, Resurrection Inc. and about the comics and about drum beats and about uh, Clockwork Angels. Um, it just they were very welcoming, and it feels very. I feel very much at home among them. And I've gone uh, two times. I think two years in a row. Two times now. Um, if it works out with my schedule, I'll be happy to go this year because you know I have this this Clockwork Lives thing coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great people. If you can manage to get there. Um, I, I recommend you should come. It, it's a good time had by all, and uh, I was. There's also a Rush European Con, a Rush EU Con, and I I attended that sort of. I was on a Skype conference for one of their panels, so I was I was there in a in a telephonic image. But um, I, I enjoy Rush Con. It, it's not huge. There's a few hundred people at it, but yeah. they're really good people, and they all they all do stuff together. They go and. and Tour the uh, the SRO offices sometimes if it's up in Toronto, where they always find some sort of rush pilgrimage to make, and um, it's just fun to be with people that that you just know they're your people. I got a couple little uh, questions that are uh, sort of off topic for you. I don't want to stereotype, but are you a skier? A skier, as a, in a snow skier. skiing? You're out in Colorado. Oh. I'm actually a snowshoer. I've got snowshoes, and I love I love hiking. I don't like standing on thin strips of wood going 100 <laughs> miles an hour. Um, I Because I write while I'm hiking, so I've got the recorder in my hand, and I go out trudging, and we've got a bunch of beautiful uh, trails in the snow, but um, there's these high-tech snowshoes, so you're just walking along on top of the snow like it's regular hiking, but um, it's 
cold and clear and frozen lakes and snow-capped mountains. And, um, so, yes, I love that in Colorado. I have been skiing. It's just not something I like to do very often. It's I'm a risk-taker, but, you know, that's an expensive hobby and dangerous, yeah. and, and I'm not good at it. I think that's the most important part. Uh, you're, you're heavily involved with the sci-fi worlds. Uh, do you have any outstanding opinions on Star Wars 7 or Man of Steel? Well, Man of Steel uh, didn't like that too much. I think that. Well, I let me ask you: what about what about Superman Returns? How do they how do they compare? Well, Superman Returns is boring. Um, Man of Steel. My problem with it was that 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 wasn't Clark Kent. The character wasn't the small town boy who who wanted truth, justice, and the American way, and wanted to help people because he wanted to help. Uh-huh. The character in Man of Steel was like this guy who wanted to hide from humanity and didn't want to be bothered. And I just went. That's more like Batman than Superman, huh. um, and I didn't, uh, you know, the whole the whole battle wrecking the whole city metropolis in the end, and it it, it was okay. I just it wasn't what I had hoped it would be. I wanted it to do for Superman what The Dark Knight did for Batman, because um, yeah. I love The Dark Knight. That was one of my favorite superhero movies of all time. Um, let's see, Star Wars Seven. I don't. I don't have anything to do with it. I, I haven't worked for Lucasfilm for quite a few years, so that means I get to go see it as a genuine fanboy, so I don't know anything that's going on, which I actually prefer. I can go sit in and hear the fanfare playing and just get all tingly and hope that there's no Jar Jar in it. Oh, no, Jar Jar. <laughs> well, I think a large part of our audience uh, has a stake in those films as as fans, you know, so I think it was... Um, it, it's cool to hear from you about what you think about those things. So uh-huh. thank you. Listen, I really appreciate you being here, and this was a blast. Uh, yeah. These are these are questions that I've been wanting to ask you for for years. You know, since Clockwork Angels cool. came out, I've had burning questions about it, and it's really nice to have you on the show and, and talk with you. Well, I just it, it was a terrific experience. I think Clock Angels is one of my very best uh, books that I worked on, and Clockwork Lives I think is even better. So I'm I'm thrilled with it. And if if your listeners haven't read it yet, I hope they'll they'll give it a chance. And you're on you'll be on tour very soon, right? We can go to your website to see that those dates. Um, yep, I just uh, my initials KJA blog kjablog.com. I just yesterday posted a list of all the shows that I'm going to be at. So take a look there and come get your book signed. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks, Jay. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye. I'll see you. That's a lot of fun. That's great. It, you know, it, it is, it's true. I've been, these are questions that I've had and it's it Just in the last week or so, it kind of hit me like, oh, I'm actually going to have an opportunity to ask the author these questions. Uh, for I mean any any book that you get a chance to talk to the author of, um, lots of fun. Thanks for being here. Hey, if you haven't sent me a set list, send it in. I'm getting a bunch of them now, and you need to be a part of it. Here's the deal: uh, if you don't know about the set list challenge, send me 30 tracks that you think they're gonna play. Um, not your dream set list, but your prediction for what the set list will be. 30 tracks plus six that just missed the cut. And I'll document it for you. So about, uh, about the tour here. I've got tickets to see 
the New York show at Madison Square Garden. And that's going to be, I think it's late June. And I think the tour starts like a month before that. So I think what's going to happen is we're not going to have any shows once the tour starts. Because I've done it two ways. I've gone in knowing the set list and I've gone in and been surprised at every song. And it's so much better being surprised. So I'm, I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm taking. I'm like boycotting Twitter and Facebook for that period of time from the day the tour starts to when I see them. So what that means is this show will not exist for that amount of time. And so there will be no spoilers for me. And please, for the love of God, don't send me. <laughs> don't email me and be like, "Hey, by the way, here's what the set list was. I was there at the show." Don't do that, please. But if you, um, I, I just, I hope, I hope I'll be able to stay away from Facebook and Twitter for that long. Uh, cause it'll be tough to not know anything. Once I've been to the show, I think I'm going to do an episode all about what I saw. So if you went before my show and you're waiting for, you know, the results of the setless challenge and you want to hear what we have to say on the show about the concert after the MSG show is when we're going to do that. So if you don't want to be surprised, let's say your show was in August or something, uh, and you, or you want to be surprised, you don't want me to give it away, then, you know, I'll, I'll say spoiler alert or some variation of that. We'll, uh, we'll iron all that out once we get closer, I think. Thank you for listening. Rock on, rush on. What, what are we supposed to say now? I don't know. Kevin J. Anderson, really cool. And go pre-order Clockwork Lives. It sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to go check that out right now. We'll see you later. Thanks. Brought to you by... No, I didn't say it. Brought to you by Knickerbocker.